Today is a special day for us in the life of our congregation. We connect here and with a number of other churches in different places throughout the world to celebrate and lift up something called Freedom Sunday. Now, I don't have to spend a lot of time with you unpacking the significance and the power of freedom. Uh, We naturally do that on our own. We gravitate towards freedom. We celebrate freedom as a country, and we try very, very hard not to take for granted the freedoms that we have. But I'm always intrigued in the various ways our culture especially lifts up freedom and, the way, again, the way we celebrate it and resonate with it. I tend to think of things like the iconic scene in Braveheart where William Wallace, played by Mel Gibson, you know, at the very end of that movie, he has given his life literally in every way that he knows how towards push, pushing his people into freedom, and it costs him his life. And you might remember at the very end of that movie when he's literally laying there and like life is ebbing out of his body, and with every last ounce of strength he can muster, he calls out the one powerful word. Oh, that was pathetic. <laughs> Let, let's try that again. He calls out the one powerful word. There we go. Thank you. There we go. That's a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, there's that moment. I mean, he just calls it out from the core of his being, and you just feel the power and the, and, you know, the willingness to sacrifice for freedom. We know how valuable it is. And again, we try not to take that for granted. Right now in the musical Ham- Hamilton, there is a song, and one of the lines at one point is just, we raise our glass, or I lift my glass to freedom. We toast it. We celebrate it. Those of you who follow the YouVersion Bible app might know that today, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 is lifted up, and it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. We celebrate freedom. We love freedom. We give thanks for freedom. And yet we live in a world where not everyone gets to be free. A lot of times in our culture, it's easy to take for granted that we are free and forget there are many in our world who don't experience the freedoms that we do. You might also remember that last week we had some discussion on the foundation of sin, and we were reminded that things in our world just aren't right. They're just not the way they were intended to be. And so not everyone experiences freedom, and as a result, there are things like forced labor, things like slavery, things like child exploitation that exist in our world that remind us not everyone is free. And part of my hope is that even to mention that and even to say not everyone's free and especially there are many children in our world who are forced into slavery, I hope that just saying that there's a part of your heart that's like, oh, ow, that hurts. I hope there's not a sense of callousness on our part to be like, well, that's too bad for them. I mean, what's happening next? One of the things that brings it home for me is to think of my own children in that scenario, or for us, our children or grandchildren or neighbors, and when we picture them in just maybe these awful conditions and to know that those children who are slaves in our world are somebody's children. And so I come and I just want us to understand that a little bit this morning. We're going to unpack that, and even as I do that, you might already feel a bit of a sense of heaviness, like, man, that's heavy, and it is. 
But I want to share with you this morning a really good word and what really what we're about and what this Freedom Sunday is about, and that is God uses us and God uses you to make a difference so that more can live into freedom. And specifically, we have partnered with an organization called IJM, International Justice Mission, and essentially what IJM does in a whole variety of ways is they find ways to literally move into the neighborhoods where forced slavery, forced labor is occurring. And when they move into the neighborhood with the love of Jesus upon them in flesh and blood ways, the slavery dissipates and the freedom explodes. And so the part of the joy for us coming here this morning is that God gives us an opportunity to literally be able to help make a difference that those who are struggling under the oppression of slavery in our world no longer have to. Now, lest you think that slavery is no longer a very big deal in our world, I want to remind you of a couple things. There's actually, and this is hard to believe, but there are more slaves in our world today than any other point in history. In fact, there are over 40 million individuals in some form of slavery in our world. 40 million. That's an incredibly large number. That is higher than the, number of and, the population of 160 different countries in our world. And of those 40 million, one out of every four is a child. So there are at least 10 million of those slaves who are children. At the same time, you might wonder, why are people even trying to engage in slavery in this day and age? There's a very simple reason. It's incredibly profitable. In fact, it is, it is understood to generate $150 billion a year. And so the focus for individuals is not on the well-being of lives, it's on how much money can we make. Especially in the country of India, slavery is a huge problem. Over 18 million slaves just in India alone. In the country of India, every eight minutes, a child disappears, oftentimes to be pulled into slavery. Only half of them are ever found. And in our world, you and I have the luxury of enjoying a legal system that protects us to a large degree, but in our world, there are over 4 billion people who do not get to experience that luxury. Because there are people in this world choosing to use their abilities and their forces for evil rather than for good. So even this morning, right now in this very moment, as you and I are gathering to worship together, there are other people in the world, there are traffickers in particular, using their influence to get more people into slavery that will hopefully bring them a greater profit. Now, you might wonder, how do people today get involved in slavery? Let me share a story with you. I want to share with you the story of Gowry is her name, and Kumar is his, a husband and wife. Kumar worked for a boss that he was basically a woodworker. He did some bricklaying, kiln work, those kinds of things. They already had a two-year-old daughter, and they found out she was pregnant again, and Gowry started to have some medical complications. They didn't have a lot of resources, so Kumar went to his boss, and for what they needed, he asked for 25,000 rupees, which sounds incredibly high, and it, it is a lot of money, but that's about $370 in our currency. So it's a significant amount, but it's not thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, but they didn't have it. So he went to his boss and he said, could you give me these 25,000 rupees? And, and his boss said, no, I will not do that, but here's what I will do. I will let you work for me, and you will pay off the debt through manual labor. That was the first step towards slavery because they were never able to work enough on top of the other work that they had to do to pay off the debt. And so they remained in debt on a constant basis, which meant that the owner had every say over Kumar and over Gowry. And it's also what happened with this individual is that he mistreated them in a variety of ways. 
In fact, one day, Gowry had spoken up against some of the, th the treatment that they were receiving, and so for doing that, the owner literally locked her in a cow shed for the day and made her watch her own husband, Kumar, be beaten. On another occasion, their two-year-old daughter accidentally was playing with the water tap that was there and messed something up, and so the owner came and beat that little girl. Uh, Gowry again tried to speak up, and this time, she was beaten so badly, she literally could not stand up for many, many days. And so as you can imagine, she was pretty much losing all hope. There was nobody defending her. There was nobody to rise up to offer her hope, to care for her in any way. And yet a number of years later, after some of these things had transpired, it was at that time that a number of IJM workers moved into the neighborhood and they brought the right legal counsel and the right investigators and everyone else so that they could set Gallery and 22 others free. Now that's great, except when they were set free, what the IGM workers needed Gallery and the others to do was to be willing to offer testimony to share in truth what had happened to them. But as you can imagine, nobody wanted to speak up because they had been beaten literally and abused for so long, they were fearful of what the repercussions would, would be until finally Gallery herself summed up enough courage to say, we have been beaten enough. It's time that the truth be known. And she was able to be set free. It happened because these IJM workers put the love of Christ literally into flesh and blood action and moved into the neighborhood. Now, those are heavy things. What is the answer to these heavy things? Well, guess what? God gives us an answer. I want to ask you this morning, we have not yet gotten to check into God's Word, and so that's what we're going to do. If you will look with me in the book of Philippians in the New Testament, chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11, and so I do want to ask you to read that with me. If you have your Bibles with you or feel free to pull it up on your smartphone, you may have a little trouble finding Philippians. I always do. It's sort of right in the middle of the New Testament. It's right in a collection of four short books in a row, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I've shared this with you before. It just helps me remember the little saying, go eat popcorn, the G, the E, the P, the C, okay? So we're, if you find any of those four, you're really close to Philippians. So go to Philippians chapter 2, and I want you to first of all hear these first eight verses that are going to give us to an answer to some of the heavy things that go on in our world. And here's what it says. Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. <laughs> How? By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now get this. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, I have a feeling we didn't really hear what it said. So listen again to verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I have a feeling we didn't hear what it really said. Let me share with you verse 8, being found in appearance as a man. 
a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This whole idea of Jesus as Lord of all, as God, all-powerful, omnipotent, becoming a human being is what we're talking about with this whole idea of incarnation. Incarnation is the term that we use to say that God put on flesh and blood. At its essence, that's what incarnation is. And I love the message version that we find in the Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, the word became flesh and blood and what? moved into the neighborhood. Love with flesh and blood on moving into the neighborhood. We cannot overstate the complexity, the magnitude, the significance of this whole idea and conception of the incarnation. When we stop and really start to think about it, it actually will blow our minds. It is truly mind-bending. All the foundations that we've looked at so far, they're big, they're significant. You might remember a couple weeks ago, we began by exploring the foundation of the Bible, then the foundation of God, last week the foundation of sin, all of those are big and complex, but I don't know if one is more intellectually challenging beyond our imagination than this one. God as Lord of the universe becoming one of us. The Christian faith, we cannot understand it without understanding Jesus as fully divine and also as fully human. That means all-powerful, unlimited God restricting himself to a limited human body. So that means when Jesus is walking along and he got hungry, I'm guessing his stomach growled because he was hungry. When Jesus was walking along and he stubbed his toe and it was painful, it would hurt. Sometimes I wonder, Jesus, were you allergic to anything? Jesus... Did you snore? <laughs> it's unbelievable that the God of the universe would become this servant. It's truly breathtaking. If I could, I mean, what a, incarnation is this. God becoming a man so that he can get into our space. And if I could right now, I'd come around to each and every one of you, and I would, like, shake your hand. And I'd get up into your face, and I'd look right into your eyes, and I'd say, hey, how are you doing? I want to get into your space. That's, that's what God does in the incarnation. It's not just ideas floating out there. He gets as close as he can to get up close and personal and maybe even get into our personal space and push us back. Because when I'm up close and personal, I can see your scars, your pain, your smile, your joy. I can know best what you're going through when I'm right up in it with you. That's what Jesus is doing in the incarnation. There are so many descriptions of this we could give, and I won't give all of them, but I just, I just I mean, oh, our mind's going to hurt if we really think about this. One description that I heard that I love is that, is that Jesus is God's self-portrait to us. I just, I just kind of love thinking about that, God's self-portrait to us. Or T.S. Eliot said this, he said, the incarnation is the intersection of the timeless with time. That's a great one for me. Jesus as timeless intersects with our time. You know what that means? You know what the result of that was? The result was a woman who became pregnant as a teenager, unwed, and a very confused fiancé, and a baby that was ultimately born in a manger, and a teacher who rose up in a very unexpected way that people couldn't fully grasp, and offering teachings and miracles that nobody could get their minds around, and 
Nobody ever really fully accepted him because they didn't know how to deal with him. And he suffered from rumors and gossip and denial and eventually even death on a cross. That's incarnation, the timeless intersecting with time. It's because of the incarnation that Jesus can relate to every single one of us because he was one of us. I love this quote as well by Eamon Duffy. He says, God drew near to us not by evaporating flesh into spirit, but by lodging his word and his wisdom in the flesh. He didn't evaporate the flesh. He lived into the flesh. Some of you are artists. Vincent van Gogh, you might know some of his famous paintings. He once described, because of this concept of the incarnation, he once described God as the greatest artist Except God is the greatest artist for his medium. He didn't use marble. For his medium, he didn't use colors. For his medium, he didn't use clay. You know what he used as his medium? Flesh. And brought forth beauty, living into the incarnation. And maybe most astonishing of all, I mean, it would be enough that, that God would choose to become one of us, but at the very least, wouldn't he become somebody important? Wouldn't he be powerful and wealthy, maybe a king? And yet in his incarnation, becoming one of us, he became a nobody, an overlooked person that nobody had any reason to look at him with any sense of significance. I don't know if many of you got to see just a couple of weeks ago, there was an article in Time magazine on former President Jimmy Carter. It was a really interesting uh, article. I, despite your politics and whether you think he was a good president or a bad president, let me say to you, he was elected president of the United States. That's a pretty big deal. In 2002, he won the Nobel Peace Prize. That's a pretty big deal. He's written over 30 books in his lifetime. That's a pretty big deal. The point of the article, though, was to notice the humility in which he and his wife Rosalind live. They are the only modern-day president and his wife who, after office, moved back into the original home that they owned way back when. So they moved back into their 1961 two-bedroom house and continue to live there to this day. At age 93, they still make their own meals. He still teaches Sunday school in his church as many Sundays as he can. For 35 years, he and Rosalind have been part of Habitat for Humanity building homes, and they say he can't quite swing a hammer the way he used to, but he can still run a, a mean table saw. And when it's time for lunch on those Habitat for Humanity outings, he and Rosalind go to the mess tent, just like everyone else, and sit there and eat. And they were struck in this article that here's this president who, for whatever reason, has chosen not to give speeches for hundreds of thousands of dollars to investment bankers. Why? What's going on there? And it blows their mind. To me, that's but the smallest whiff of what Jesus did in letting go of the riches and the wealth and the comforts of heaven to come and be among us in this incarnate love with flesh on way. It begins to make it real in my mind what it looks like. Here's the other part about the incarnation. The incarnation is not just Jesus becoming flesh and blood for us. It's also this. Incarnation always also relates to incarnation all. It's not just Jesus who's supposed to live into the incarnation. He calls you and I as Jesus' followers to be incarnational, meaning you and I also are supposed to be love with flesh and blood on. 
I want to ask you to say it with me because it's a big word. It's one of those big theological words, five syllables, incarnational. Can you just say that with me once? Incarnational. That's pretty good. Let's try that one more time. Incarnational. You can do it even a little bit better. Come on. Incarnational. God calls us also to be incarnational, to join with him in putting, again, flesh and blood onto love. You and I have this tendency, why, why don't people get involved with God or take God seriously or come to church? And what we so often do is we throw these truth bombs from a long distance away towards somebody and we lob them and we think if we throw the truth at them from enough distance, they should pick it up and they should come to church and they should join us. It's not what people need, and it's not what God did with us. What did God do? He got up close and personal to serve and love all the way up in our face. Church, we have lost our willingness to get up close and personal and serve and walk and stand and even bleed for others if we need to. The incarnation means it's not just talking about Jesus. We participate with Jesus as well. I want to get this quote exactly right, so I'm going to read this. They asked President Carter then, if you continued in the article, what do you want your legacy to be? Why are you doing this? And what do you want people to remember about you? This is what he said. He said, people ask me what I want to be remembered for. I generally say peace and human rights. I think it's a basic right of a human being to have a home that's decent in which to raise children and have an adequate amount of health care and have an adequate amount of education to take advantage of whatever talent God may have given them. Now that sounds good, that sounds nice, it sounds like the kind of answer that should be given, but the response of the author to that quote from Carter was this. The author said, it's a simple creed that Carter offers, but when put into practice with this level of dedication, it can seem radical. I would submit to us that we as the church so often have lost our radicality because we are talking from a distance instead of in practice putting love into action with flesh and blood. And the incarnation means that we join with Jesus in this practice. There was a lady whose home Carter was working on. Listen to what she gave as a description about Carter. She said, he's heaven sent. It's God working through him. Yes exactly right. And then for Carter himself, when they asked him about it again, why he does this, he said this, we happen to be Christians, and this gives us a chance to put our religious belief into practical projects. It gives us a chance to put our religious belief into practical projects. That's the essence of incarnation. And I would submit to us, it is living incarnationally that makes us as Christians and as Jesus followers distinct and different than any other religion. You will not find this in any other religion, certainly not the central figure of any other religion who became incarnate, one with flesh and blood on, but then transposing it to us as well, that we as followers follow Christ in this way as well. What would it take for us to become incarnational. What is the next step that you and I can take? Because I have a feeling 
As we're talking about IJM, they are an incarnational people. That's why we're partnering with them and working with them. So when I say to you on this Freedom Sunday, what can you do to be incarnational? I doubt very many of us will say, you know what, I can go to the Philippines tomorrow. I can go to India tomorrow. So what can we do? We have some people here this morning. We'll be in the center of this room at the end of the service. We invite you to go and visit that table and connect and learn more about IJM. We invite you to connect with the people who here are helping us to have a connection with IJM and what you can do to be a part of that and strengthening that relationship. We also want to invite every single one of you. There's a way that we can be praying for IJM. We have prayer cards for you to be able to follow. Will you take those and use those seriously? And I know you hear this from me a lot, but there's a reason. We want to be an incarnational people. When we have opportunities to share in something like first night, we invite you to come and serve the people in our community. I don't mean just serve food from behind the counter. I mean sit down with them, get up close and personal, be flesh and blood of God and God's love right in their presence and get to know them and build a relationship. Or when we have Fresh Express across the street to hand out food, we invite you to do that. Or we've already mentioned about Transform coming up. Why do we make such a big deal about that? Because we're trying to be radical in sharing the love of God in practical ways through practical projects that make a difference in people's lives. And so we're going to lift that up over and over and over again until God penetrates our hearts and minds in a way that we say, we too will join with you, Jesus, in being incarnational. It makes a difference. Just this past week, uh, we got some really great news. We heard that we have, we have a special connection through IJM with Ghana. Two girls, eight boys were just freed, literally in this past week, along with an 18-year-old and an infant of one of the girls. That is tremendous news. That is exciting news. And again, if you're like, is it that really that big a deal? The ages of these kids who were freed was ages 9 to 15. You know what ages those are? Those are my kids. Josh, Zach are 14. Alex is 16. Ten of my kids were just freed from a life of slavery. That means they will now get to go to school. That means they won't be forced into forced labor anymore on a fishing boat. That means that they won't be abused anymore. It means that they will get to laugh and do normal kid teenage things. And I celebrate that and I give thanks for that. And maybe when you, yeah, you can celebrate that. That's exactly right. We should celebrate that, thank you, because you are helping to make that happen through your partnership with IJM. It makes a difference. Maybe when you hear something like that, we do celebrate it, but sometimes we're also like, well, 10 out of millions? Does it really make that big a difference? And I love what Pastor Janet shared with us a long time ago, and she said, do for one what you wish you could do for all. There was a boy named Gideon who was forced to be a slave on a fishing boat. He was told his mom was dead to try to help keep him there. IJM moved into the neighborhood, was able to free him, and he found out his mom was not dead and has been able to be reconnected. We do for one what we wish we could do for all. There's a wonderful story in the New Testament that I love. 
In Matthew chapter 14, you probably heard of it, some of you, there's this great story where Jesus has been teaching all day and the masses come and they keep coming and they keep coming and it, it says in scripture there were 5,000 men, but there were probably also another 5,000 women and maybe another 5,000 children. So you're picturing anywhere from five to 15,000 people coming and listening to Jesus and they're getting hungry. They've been sitting there all day listening. There is no air conditioning. There is no uh, pizza that they can order in. There is no Chick-fil-A or McDonald's that they can go to. So it's the end of the day. They've been listening all day and to say that they were hanging would be an understatement. And so they come to the disciples and they're like, feed us. And the disciples are looking around. They have nothing. They look around. There are all these thousands that are there and all they can scrounge up is a little bit of crumbs of bread, a few loaves, a few fish. And they're like, this will do us no good. And so they go to Jesus because they don't know what else to do. And they look at Jesus and they say, what do we do with all these angry, hungry, starving people? Because Jesus, we have no food. And in Matthew 14, 16, Jesus drops this bombshell. He looks at his disciples and he says, you feed them. And there's a collective gulp from the disciples. What do you mean? We, we do, how? We have no capacity to, what do you mean? And Jesus says, you feed them. So you know what they did? They took the loaves and fish they had, and they went to one guy and said, here's some, some loaves, and he ate, and he was all right. They went to one other one and gave him some fish, and they ate, and they were okay. And then they found another one and gave a little bit more fish. And you know, one by one by one, a miracle happened because they were obedient to do and respond to the one. If we are obedient no matter how big or small, Jesus will then take care of the miracle. So what is your next obedient step? IJM currently has over 850 people who are lawyers, caseworkers, trauma workers, investigators, pastors, and through their work, one by one by one, over 20 communities have been set free from slavery to now experience freedom. Entire portions of countries are starting to experience freedom where there's only been slavery. A movement is afoot that is truly miraculous in nature because people one by one are moving in the flesh and love of God and blood into the neighborhood. How do we do that, church? So I invite you to pray about that and think about that. And here's how God says the miracle happens. Listen now to the remaining verses of chapter 2. The answer is this. That Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore... God then exalted him to the highest place and he gave him the name that's above every single name. That at the name of Jesus, every single knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every single tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the power of incarnation. When love moves into the neighborhood with flesh and blood on, God exalts and miracles happen and lives are transformed for the betterment of the world and for all of eternity. And this is what God invites us into, church. 
So can I ask us as a church to get fleshy and dare I say bloody for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of freedom, for the sake of offering God's hope and love and mercy and justice in the world in which we live so that God's miracles might occur. To God be the glory. Amen.